another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. It is FSU week with the FSU game. Two days and change from the time of this recording on Thursday afternoon. Uh, FSU enters this week's game at 5-3. and three. Miami enters at 4-4. Four and four. Game is a 7.30 kick and will be televised on ABC. Uh, and sounds like it's going to be a sellout. Uh, so the environment at Hard Rock Stadium should be rocking, should be a fun one. Um, Gabby, I want to start here with this. Um, what is your lasting or favorite Miami FSU game memory? Man, that's a good one. Um, my favorite memory might be like getting spurned from a memory, which is, uh, I think it was one year I was young. I can't remember what year it was, but I was supposed to, it was supposed to be me, my dad, my brother, we're going to go to Miami FSU, Orange Bowl was still around. I was a kid. Uh, something happened. My dad couldn't go. So he gives a ticket to his friend with the, with the, you know, I guess the caveat that he could take his son. So I basically got booted. Uh, that was one of like the wide right or wide left games. So whichever one happened in like the early 2000s or whatever. So that was, that's probably my most painful Miami FSU memory. And then maybe just experience like after the long streak, um, you know, that I guess recently that FSU went on that, you know, I, I felt like it felt like it was just years and years of my lot of like my, you know, aware life where I was just kind of really into it. That I feel like Miami just couldn't get past FSU and then they finally beat them. And that was pretty exciting. I guess that was the Malik Rozier, Daryl Langan. Yeah. Uh, that was a game crazy up game. Tallahassee. Yeah, that was a fun one. I mean, that's probably that's a great one. I remember I think it was like my freshman year of high school, uh, you know, watching Jacory uh, go up to Tallahassee mm-hmm. and, beat, and beat FSU up there, you know, just watching that on TV. So a few of them, man. I mean, it's it's always a, it's definitely a weekend. I always have circled on my calendar and I, I'm I'm excited for what this edition of Miami, Florida State brings. It's the best. And, you know, you really don't know what you're going to get out of this game. Uh, I think that is one thing that is true about the Miami Florida state series is one team can be entering this game, uh, playing much better than the other team, but no matter what, when these two teams play, it's usually a pretty close game, no matter what the level of the program is that season. For me, um, my favorite is, uh, the first Miami FSU game I ever attended in person and that was the year 2000 uh in the orange bowl um and that was when florida state had things rolling miami was kind of an ascending team at that time and miami pulled out the 27 24 victory um which was kind of like the changing of the guard between those two programs with florida state so dominant in the late 90s And then that game essentially set up Miami's run there in the early 2000s. But that was a fun one. Chris Winkie, Ken Dorsey uh, going at it. Uh, Dan Morgan with some big plays, uh, I think, before halftime. Jeremy Shockey, game-winning touchdown, I think, if I remember right. I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, that was just a fun game. I can still remember uh, the seats. My dad and I had in that game kind of uh, the open area, the open end zone of the Orange Bowl, second 
level. I think it was like row one. So it's really good seats um, to watch the whole action. And that's a fun game. Um, but let's fast forward at 22 years. Uh, not, <laughs> not the same stakes. Definitely course, not. For this edition of the Miami-Florida State rivalry. Um, and, and we'll get into it, right? We're, we're going to break down the game, uh, what we think can happen going into this game um, in a little bit, but we got to start with recruiting. Um, this game's always so important with recruiting. It's going to be the best home game atmosphere Miami has to offer recruits uh, this season. Um, and Gabby, it sounds like it's going to be a loaded day with plenty of talent visiting. You take this wherever you want to take it, who you want to highlight first, et cetera. But, but uh, you got a full list on the website. So if you're not subscribing already, uh, go subscribe and check out the names. It's an impressive list. But who would you pull out and highlight here on the podcast that the fans should know about that plans, plans to be there? Yeah, let, let's start with just some class of 2023 guys. You know, I think that's probably where the most immediate attention is. I think it's a good crop of, of unofficial visitors. I mean, highlighted, but I think, you know, I, I think it's going to be 15, 16 Miami commits. Uh, I mean, just it seems like almost the whole entire class is going to be there, which is really, really exciting, uh, you know, outside of outside of a few guys. So that's always awesome. And, uh, you know, definitely some big non-committed guys, too. I mean, Damari Brown, let's start off with him taking an official visit to Miami you know, that's a big deal. I mean, he's, he's one of the top cornerbacks yeah. on the board. You know, Miami just kind of stunned the college football world with poor Monty McLean. If you can add another top 200 talent to that cornerback room, I think that's a really big deal. Pair him along with Robert Stafford. He announced a final four on uh what was, so I guess it was Wednesday night in Miami, Florida state, uh, Alabama and Clemson. I really feel like, you know, this not saying it's a Miami, Florida state battle, but those are, these are two schools that he's seriously considering at this point of the recruitment. So I think that's a big one to watch out for. Um, a couple, you know, unofficial visitors, non-committed Ruben Bain, uh, the top two, four, seven defensive lineman out of Miami Central. Always great to get him on campus, just get him in the stadium. He's been to multiple Miami games now this fall, which is always a big deal as, you know, the Hurricanes look to close out on Dade County's top uncommitted prospect. Uh, Tayshawn Lyons, another top two, four, seven wide receiver from out west in Northern California. He's going to be taking an unofficial visit down to Miami. That's a really big deal. Oh, six, two and a half, 165, kind of a, a big body guy on the outside. David, we've talked about him plenty on the podcast. So I think Miami fans should be pretty familiar with him. Uh, one committed prospect and a guy that's been, you know, kind of a regular now at Hard Rock Stadium, Stan Pong Clark. That's the that's the Louisville commit out of Miami Central. He's going to be back at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, again, I think that's who Miami would like to close out this uh, linebacker class with. And I know he has a ton of fans around the building uh, between Charlie Strong Kevin Steele, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, think uh, very highly of him. So I think it's awesome that they're getting some of these dudes on campus for, again, what you mentioned, David, big time atmosphere, uh, sold out Hard Rock Stadium, apparently, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty rowdy. And uh, it's always it's always a fun one when Miami, Florida State line it up. So it should be a great atmosphere. This is an unfair question to ask, but whatever. We're going to ask it. <laughs> Shoot. Um, Let's just say Miami pulls off a stunner and wins the game. Yeah. Do you think Miami could pick up a commitment coming out of the weekend? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that that's totally unfair. You know, uh, again, Damari Brown doesn't have a commitment date yet. I mean, I think some around him think that it could be potentially soon. 
Um, I don't know if it would be Ruben Bain, but like, let's go back, back here. A guy I didn't mention, uh, Chamberlain Campbell. He's a, you know, he's kind of a rising yeah. edge. He's kind of, you know, he visited Miami, went up to Florida State. Uh, when, when he was up at Florida State, told, you know, one, uh, Zach Lostein that, you know, Miami was kind of his leader still uh, coming back down to Miami for this game. Like, is that someone that pulls the trigger? I mean, a six foot five and a half, 210 pound edge rusher that people around the building are really, really high on. I mean, I, I told our subscribers earlier in the week, like, if, if he wanted to commit to Miami right now, I mean, they would take him. So uh, is that someone that maybe decides to just pull the trigger, shut things down? Not saying definitely, but, you know, I could see yeah. something like that happening. I mean, I don't think you can rule out anything with just these momentum, guys. Yeah, know, just building momentum. Point. For sure. I think Stan Kwan could be a guy too. You yeah, know? Stan Kwan for sure. I mean, I think that could that's something that's potentially brewing. Uh, you know, that's something that, you know, could potentially happen at any time if, if, if Miami kind of is able to close it out there. All right, so let's get into the game. And and for this first half of the podcast, I kind of just want to set the table for FSU, like who they are this year on offense, defense, uh, personnel-wise on both sides of the ball too. Uh, I think we should start with some injury talk. Uh, Really, you know, I think FSU for the most part is healthy going into this game. Uh, They were pretty banged up maybe about a month ago at this time, but, uh, they are thankfully healed up. Good to go. Uh, I think the one to watch is running back Treshawn Ward, who is their leading rusher. He's missed the last, I believe two games. Uh, he, he sustained an injury. I think upper extremity, my guess would be shoulder. I don't know. Um, uh, against NC state. And so I think he's working his way back and might be on like a pitch count situation similar to what Restrepo, Xavier Restrepo was on against Virginia. Um, I think it's big. Last week, FSU, I believe, got both of their defensive tackles back in Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper. Um, So that's big there um, in the middle of their line of scrimmage. So overall, FSU's healthy, good to go into this game. So let's start with the offense. Gabby and um, you look at the stats and they're impressive. Uh, FSU's rolling up 487 yards per game, 32 points per game. They're balanced, uh, 209 rushing and 277 passing. Uh, they're one of only five teams in the country, averaging at least 275 and 200 uh, this season. Also on that list is Georgia. TCU, UCLA, and Oregon. Um, So their balance is kind of what makes them unique and elite on offense. They're explosive, 62 plays of at least 20 yards from scrimmage, uh, which is second nationally behind Ole Miss. They're efficient. They do a good job of staying ahead of the chains, 49.5% third down conversion rate, which is 17th best in the country. And in general, Gabby, um, you know, I, I think they're just a, an offense that's in sync and clicking. This is what year three of the yeah. Mike Norvell era. Um, and I think he's done a really good job building this offense around Jordan Travis. They've kind of gone this year. They went all in on Jordan Travis. Um, the last couple seasons, Jordan Travis has had to compete for the starting job. And quite frankly, I don't think he started the year as the starter the last two seasons. I don't know. It was kind of a back and forth situation this year. He's definitely the guy, 
Mike Norvell went all in on game planning around him. Um, and I think uh, Travis is playing better because of it. You can tell he's more confident, more comfortable this year. He's getting the ball out much quicker this year, more decisive. Um, and Mike Norvell has done an excellent job of game planning to his strengths and away from his deficiencies. So let's start with Jordan Travis, Gabby, just watching him a little bit this year. What are your takeaways from uh, seeing what he has done in 2022? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Travis has been really impressive to me. I think you can tell, like, I mean, just you, a lot of the things you mentioned, David, it feels like they're kind of tailoring the offense to him. I think they've kind of established an identity through Jordan Travis where they can kind of do a lot of different things. It seems like they kind of throw a bunch of different formations out there. Uh, they kind of keep defenses on their toes, you know, just kind of guessing. I mean, they, I, I feel like Jordan Travis is kind of just like the engineer of this offense, right? He feels just completely comfortable in it. It feels like he kind of knows what he's doing on any given play. I feel like he's kind of like rarely panicking. And, you know, again, I think that he's just kind of in sync. You talk about that, that year three of this Mike Norvell offense it just feels like everyone in the room like everyone in the offense knows what's going on Jordan Travis being obviously the leader of that unit but it all runs through him I think it starts and it finishes with Jordan Travis and you know his ability to you have to kind of you know be aware of the fact that he can run I think he's grown as a passer I think he's made some impressive throws mm -hmm. where you just kind of like you have to respect it you can't he's not just a guy that's just going to be a crafty runner type like he he can put the ball in tight pockets he showed that you know he's shown that at different points throughout the year and uh you know, so, I mean, Jordan Travis has been awesome, man. I think he's, uh, you know, definitely one of the top quarterbacks in the conference. And I think he's shown to, yeah, you know, I think he's proven to be a guy that, you know, has his name. I mean, I feel like he's a respectable arm when kind of looking at the national landscape, I'm not saying he's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner or anything like that. But, I mean, he seems to have figured it out here in year three of this tenure under Mike Norvell. He has. And um, a big reason for his success is FSU went out and improved the wide receiver room. Um, via the transfer portal. And it starts this season with Johnny Wilson, who is a unit of a man, six foot seven, 235 pounds. Um, he has totaled 603 yards and four touchdowns. He's the type of guy where, you know, he, he's not a burner, of course, at that size. He's certainly fast enough, but he definitely wins with physicality and his size. Um, he understands how to stack corners um, and just win contested catch opportunities. Uh, he's not perfect in terms of catching all the right. catchable balls that come his way, but still, I think the positives of Johnny Wilson way outweigh the uh, significantly outweigh the you know drops, the frustrating drops that happen with Johnny. If if he could clean that up. He's a tremendous receiver uh, at the college level. So um, he's definitely been an important target, especially in terms of like getting their explosive passing game going or the threat of an explosive passing game uh, that defenses have to respect. Uh, Johnny Wilson's a big piece of the success this year for FSU's offense. Yeah, Johnny, I mean, again, he's kind of an impressive specimen, right? Like you see him at that size and the way he kind of is kind of coordinated too. Again, it's not always perfect. He does struggle with drops at times. I mean, but again, he's kind of those, he's one of those guys that you can kind of throw the ball up to him. I mean, a red zone threat. He's yeah. been that for them. He's also the ability to kind of make explosive plays happen too. 
you turn on the Georgia tape, the Georgia Tech tape from last week. I mean, he kind of he takes the ball like 70 something yards, kind of just fights off a defender, right. catches it over him, just runs, you know, kind of by himself for a score. So he's a guy that can beat you, that can stretch the field as well. But then what he can do, you know, as the field shrinks is is super valuable because of that size where he can kind of just mm-hmm. box guys out and then just again, I mean, you just high point the ball. I mean, it's how it kind of goes at time. You know, the guy, who, the person who can get to it first at its highest point typically wins to Johnny Wilson, I think, is someone with just that, you know, really just impressive length and size you know definitely has an advantage when the when the ball's up in the air so uh, again uh there's definitely things he can clean up if he did clean up those drops i mean i think he'd be you know one of the top i mean he'd be just again a fantastic receiver potentially talking about him you know even maybe even further on than just college but right now i mean i think that is something to kind of monitor because those drops do happen and i think they seem to happen you know not regularly but they happen enough where you kind of have to be concerned about it at times I think the other guy to highlight in their passing game, and they do spread the ball around, but I would highlight Micah Pittman, who is an, an Oregon transfer addition. He's kind of been their steady guy in the slot, uh, 288 yards and three touchdowns. Um, so not nearly as productive as Johnny Wilson, but he is a guy that, um, you know, can make tough catches over the middle at times, can make contested catches. Um, he's not, I wouldn't call him overly explosive or sudden with his acceleration. Um, but he is a strong bodied guy that can shrug off some tackles every now and then. So I think he's brought something improved to the room as well. And then in Ontario, Wilson seems like he's been there for like 10 years now. Um, he's second on the team with 320 yards and two touchdowns. He's kind of their smooth route runner guy that can get open that way um, on the outside run game. Uh, You know, of course, Jordan Travis is a dynamic runner. He's not running as much this year. I mean, that threat is still always there and he has popped a 71 yard run this year, which I think is their longest run on the team by anyone. Um, But really they got a three headed monster. Gabby, I'm curious, like, who stands out to you in their running back room? Yeah, a few of them, man. I mean, I feel like they're all kind of, you know, I think they all bring something different. Trey Trey Benson, to me, is pretty interesting. I mean, I think he's, I I think just kind of like the storyline, too, but just him being kind of a a Mario Cristobal guy. And then just the size, I mean, six foot, over six foot one, I mean, six foot one, over 210 pounds, averaging 6.7 yards per carry, three touchdowns. I mean, I think he's someone that definitely brings something different. Uh, Trayshawn Ward is probably like their guy, but Trey Benson, I think is pretty unique. And I mean, I think he kind of, I, I think I can kind of see why Mario Cristobal kind of recruited him to Oregon mm-hmm. because he does seems to fit the bill of a, a big physical running back that fights for extra yardage. I was talking to someone who's pretty familiar with the Florida state, you know, that's, you know, with Florida state and, you know, everything that got going on, they told me that uh, Trey Benson doesn't qualify for, you know, being um, I guess in the, in the picture for like the, the nation's leaders for broken tackles, but he's already like, I guess like the, his average, like amount of broken tackles per game would like be like top in the country. If he had the qualifying amount of, of, of touches or rushing attempts yeah. or something like that. So, I mean, he's just a, he's kind of a handful to deal with. And, you know, so Trey Benson is one that definitely sticks out to me, but they're both, you know, Ward and Benson are two of the most explosive running backs. And I think at the, the PFF, like explosive run rate, I think Benson and, and Tayshawn Ward, I think, are second in the country 
um, behind like the Oregon duo. So, I mean, two guys that can definitely get it done and that are a handful. Yeah, I think Benson. So Benson doesn't really have that many snaps this season compared to the other backs, but he's he's gotten more playing time recently with Treshawn Ward being out. Um, But yeah, Benson, he's a guy that is he breaks tackles. And uh, I think, you know, I think he is top 10 in missed tackles forced. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's averaging five yards per carry after contact, which yeah. is a ridiculous number. Yeah. Um, he's not a guy that maybe has a ton of like wiggle, like in terms of start stop type. Like once he s- slows down or stops, he kind of loses a lot of momentum, and that's the best way to get him down. Right. Um, but when he's got a full head of steam, he is he is a load to bring down. Um, but I do think you're right. Like Treshawn Ward in terms of best running, like Benson might be the best, like if we're projecting to NFL, cause the height, weight, speed combinations, uh, but Treshawn Ward, probably their best back at the college level, yeah. quick shifty, uh, vision. He kind of, he's kind of like their energizer bunny guy too. Uh, you could tell the team feeds off the way he runs. And then Lawrence Toa, Toa Feely, is kind of their Swiss army knife. Yeah. Um, he leads them in rushing touchdowns with five. Um, and he's a guy that I think is best at working to the edges. Um, you know, maybe looking for some cutbacks or just beating the defense around the edge. Um, and then also going back to the passing game, he is their top pass catching threat out of the backfield, which Mike Norvell looks to do with his offense. He has 17 receptions for 172 yards. Um, Offensive line. I don't know. It's not like a disastrous unit. Like it was a a few years ago. Um, It's kind of slowly methodically uh, improved. I think during this Mike Norvell era, in my opinion, watching them, I think the run blocking is slightly better than the pass blocking, but I think overall, you know, it's it's an average group, um, and I do think Mike Norvell does a tremendous job scheming things up to limit how they might be exposed. And I think Jordan Travis's athleticism helps negate sacks. So they they give up, I think, less than two sacks per game. I think that's mainly due to Jordan Travis's elusiveness and ability to. Um, make defenders miss what stands out about the offensive line to you anything in particular yeah no I mean I guess they you know the way they kind of drive in the run game you know I feel like they do kind of open things up again I think a lot of it's just kind of like the way that you know Miami's I feel like you know that's kind of like Miami's kind of struggled to run block I feel like their strength is maybe even in the run blocking and I feel like they kind of understand that they're kind of you know they're kind of assignment based stuff and uh you know, and just I don't know how necessarily deep they are. It seems like they've had some continuity over the course of the season. And uh, I, I don't know what's after that. But it seems like this five that they've kind of had have been kind of playing together. Um, and so I, I feel like, yeah. you know, they, again, they've been kind of opening it up. They've been, uh, you know, creating opportunities for these backs and, you know, Jordan Travis as well. So I don't think it's a world changing offensive line. I don't think they're, you know, any like, you know, some elite group or anything like that. But I do think they get it. They get it done to the point where, you know, they're kind of doing what they need to be doing on offense. I don't think that they're necessarily hindering uh, the offense. Right. I think that they can kind of get, ex- they can kind of get beat up a little bit 
Um, you know, especially maybe, if, uh, you know, when they're behind the sticks or in kind of third and long situations where they have to truly like pass protect. But I think that they kind of do what they need to do to kind of run the offense that they're running there. Yeah, it's not the prettiest looking group in terms right. of like body types and athleticism. But in the run game, they do some fun pin and pull type stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they do get after it. They're, the effort is definitely there in the run game. Um, defense. Uh, Florida State is improved on defense as well. 323 yards per game allowed, which is 22nd best nationally. 21.9 points per game allowed. Uh, they're doing a good job getting after the quarterback. 2.8 sacks per game. Um, my biggest takeaway, Gabby, with watching them on defense is I think they've done a really good job of just solidifying the personnel at all three levels. Um, to me, there's no real noticeable like detrimental weakness. Right. You know, on the D line, at the linebacker level, uh, in the secondary as well. Now, I don't think there's like elite talent at all three levels, um, but I think all three levels have just solid play uh, that can get the job done. Uh, you know, it's not like the most disruptive, havoc creating group, yeah. um, but they execute. They they're playing within the defense. They execute mm -hmm. kind of like a then but dope break scheme yes definitely and get it done what are your thoughts on their defense yeah it seems more like a bend but don't break right like it doesn't seem like they're kind of just like i, I don't know that they're doing anything like crazy where they're sending a bunch of dudes or like playing the super like ultra aggressive style of defense i think that they're kind of just making people kind of just drive down the field i think that that's how they've kind of been all year i don't know that they're creating a turn a turn a turn a ton of turnovers um, you know, I think that they're just kind of trying to put people in position to kind of punt and stuff like that. But yeah, you're talking about the personnel, you're watching them again. I, that's what I kind of noticed just watching through some of these games. I mean, it seems like the defensive front, they definitely got some guys. I mean, Fabian Lovett, Robert yeah. Cooper are two guys that they have, but they even have, you know, uh, that guy McDonald who I thought filled in and, you know, did an okay job. I mean, on the edges, they have Jared verse, they have Patrick Payton, uh, who's a name that some Miami fans might be mm -hmm. familiar with, you know, finished his high school career at Miami Northwestern and, you know, he was kind of in the conversation to be at Miami. I think they were kind of full at the time. But, you know, I think he's kind of de developing nicely. Peyton Bethune is a, is a linebacker. Miami kind of wanted in the portal. Kalen Deloach uh, next to him I don't think is bad. Jamie Robinson, Akeem Dent in the secondary. Uh, I think corner is maybe where there might be a little bit suspect. Uh, you know, Marion Cooper. I think they just got Kevin Knowles back that he had been out for a little bit. So I think that there's still some young, some young guys, you know, at, at the corner spots. But. You know, again, I think, you know, top to bottom, when you're kind of comparing the rosters, I mean, the, the Florida State defense seems to kind of have, again, maybe not uh, an all ACC, you know, personnel group, but it seems they have, they have talent at all three levels and, you know, enough that can definitely get them through some wins in, in this conference. Yeah, there's two guys in particular that impress me uh, that just jump off when, when you watch them play on defense. Number one, Jamie Robinson, their safety. Um He's a guy that his instincts impress me. He triggers quickly uh, when he makes his reads. And uh, I think he's very good in space with tackling. Um, he's just like a heat-seeking missile, kind of a smaller DB. Uh, but he plays big uh, and physical for his size. And then the other one's Jared Verse, who is there. Uh, you know, transfer addition at defensive end, 
he you can tell he's a freak athlete his get off his twitchiness is impressive and maybe even more impressive is his knockback uh at the point of attack like he he is a powerful man and a lot of times he is knocking offensive tackles back with his kind of bull rush i guess um off the edge i don't know if he necessarily has like a ton of pass rushing moves but his effort his energy his explosiveness um he plays with a, a high motor and uh it's going to be a busy day if you're going up against Jared Verse. Then also, too, you mentioned Tatum Bethune. He's just, to me, he's been a really big addition for their defense, just cleaning things up at linebacker. Um, he's a guy Miami wanted in the portal, and he would have been a big addition for Miami right. if the Hurricanes had landed him. But, uh, you know, his relationship with Randy Shannon won out for the Seminoles. So overall, just, you know, and look, we talk about year three with Mike Norvell. I think you can tell how there's complimentary football going on. Uh, the offense is explosive, run game, uh, you know, keep the defense off the field um, and score points. The defense does a good job of, uh, you know, limiting explosive plays and getting the ball back to the offense. So um, complimentary football is kind of an underrated thing, I think. and. FSU's, for the most part, has been playing that way this season, uh, particularly in the games they've won. Um, thoughts on the special teams? We don't got to spend too much time on this topic, yeah. but you know, I think Micah Pittman's been solid punt returner, yeah. 12 yards per pop. Again, he's not necessarily like the most explosive guy, but he can run through that first tackle and then pick up kind of an additional 8, 9, 10 yards. Um, 24 yards per kick return. Um, and then their specialists are kind of not having the greatest year. Ryan Fitzgerald, field goal kicker, seven to 12 on attempts this season. And really, if you watch Florida state, they are going for it a lot on fourth down. Um, and, in a lot of situations where if you had a decent field goal kicker, you'd probably settle for the field goal. Um, Mike Norvell's kind of just decided to go for it on a lot of these fourth downs. And then Alex Mastromano is, a, is averaging 42 yards per attempt. But, you know, this coaching staff puts a lot of emphasis on special teams. Um, and I think you can see in the return game where they do a good job. Is anything standing out to you about their special teams, Gabby? Yeah, I mean, I just, again, just kind of cutting through the tape. Like I, I, I was watching the NC State game and they had some like kind of funky punt return where it's just like Micah Pittman, like, faded right and you just see Ontario yeah. Wilson just kind of run down the field it's like where's this guy going he fields the punt and gets like a huge return and like the whole NC State special teams unit is like huddled around Michael Pittman who's just not catching the ball so I think right. that they're willing to be creative you know and uh, you know they do different things I've never really seen something like that before uh, so yeah you know again I think it's just something you kind of got to you got to keep your eye on whatever they're doing on special teams because again Michael Pittman in, 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 in and of, of himself is a is a solid returner um and then they always maybe you know and then it's obviously the rivalry game and all that stuff the wrinkles all that stuff they could always have something up their sleeve and i think in that in that lsu game did they block two kicks yeah maybe a field goal and an extra point i forget but, yeah one uh, late and then they blocked one right. late that would have like lost them the game i think they blocked like the 
it would have been like a game-winning extra point or something there at the end when LSU drove down the field and scored. Right. Or game-tying, maybe. I don't maybe. know. But, yeah. Uh, we'll see. Special teams, of course, is in these close games, which Miami FSU typically is, uh, special teams can play an important role. Um, and then just before we take a break here and get into the Miami side of this game, um, you know, I think just overall big picture wise, if we're going to talk about the job Mike Norvell's done and this roster, um, and look, when I say this, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just talking about in terms of, you know, I think it's impressive. Mike Norvell has gotten Florida state to this point. Um, you know, I think they've, they've improved the personnel and the culture primarily through the portal. Um, you look at the, their, a lot of their main contributors are guys they brought in through the portal. Jordan Travis from Louisville, Trey Benson from Oregon, Johnny Wilson, uh, Arizona State, Micah Pittman, Oregon. Three of their own linemen, portal additions from Notre Dame, Charlotte, South Carolina. Jamie Robinson, who I think is their best defensive player. South Carolina, Tatum Bethune, the linebacker, UCF, Jared Verse, Albany. Um, and then you got some Mississippi State uh, additions too. And these are not just this offseason. These are from previous offseasons. So, um, you know, just my main question with Florida State and Mike Norvell. Again, I think it's impressive they gotten things to this point uh, because it was a mess when they got there. Um, and I think in the beginning, it's fine to flip a roster with the portal. And I think that's a fine strategy to get to like that eight win mark when, you know, you're taking over a program that is in kind of dire straits. But the thing I am wondering, and, and to me, this is the main question Mike Norvell has to answer in terms of like, are you the guy? You know, how long, how much, how long are you going to be at Florida State? To me, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a question that is going to be answered with how well they recruit at the high school level. And, uh, you know, I think for Florida State to be Florida State, and this goes for any upper echelon program, and, and Florida State has the ability to be an upper echelon program, an elite program, I think you have to get there with high school recruiting classes. And so I'm curious what kind of class they signed this year because it, it looks like they're turning, you know, they're turning the corner corner in terms of they're going to make a, a bowl game this year. Um, it's their best season in a, in a few years. What does that mean in terms of high school talent acquisition? Um, because that's, that's how you get to the 10 win mark. That's how you get to competing for ACC championships. So, you know, Mike Norvell, I think it's clear the guy is a really, really, really good coach. Um, what he's done on, on with this offense, because it's kind of like, honestly, it's kind of like an island of misfit toys type of personnel situation. Like, personally, like I'm not blown away by their personnel, but the way they use them, I think is, is very impressive. And, and Mike Norvell uh, deserves a ton of credit for that. So I don't know. Anything you want to touch on there, Gabby, or I'm just kind of ranting? No, you're, no, you're right. I mean, I think that what they've been able to do, you know, again, it's not, it's not maybe the traditional track of how you build like a championship level program of, you know, just kind of still like, you know, obviously you need to develop your own talent. I think anyone in 
college football would tell you like, yeah, you know, the transfer portal is nice, but you can't rely on it year in and year out. I mean, you look at Michigan state, I feel like the transfer portal giveth it also taketh, and uh, you know, one year that transfer portal hall could look really, really good. And the next year if certain pieces don't click, you know, it just won't, it, you know, it won't work out the same way. So um, I do think there is something to going tra- to work in the transfer portal, yeah. but I think any early think on transfer too. portal. Yeah. But I think, it, I think the, you know, I think the design of it when you're a program that kind of gets to that level is that it should always be complementary. You know, it should never be what you, it should never be the basis of the program. You need to recruit, develop high school talent first and whatever fillers you need to kind of, or if you can pluck someone that'll just kind of give you a boost at a couple positions, you know, that's what you do down the stretch. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, tip, tip your cap to Mike Norvell and what he's done here at Florida state. I mean, I think that what he's done here in year three is probably more than I thought he might have been capable of doing at this point. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, I think that they're, you know, he's doing, he's doing a good job and uh, you know, he's put together a roster that honestly kind of competes, you know, week in and week out. I've watched them a few times, you know, watch them play, you know, whenever they're on and it doesn't conflict with Miami, I'll typically watch them. And, you know, I do think that they're a team that plays hard and, and, you know, really, you know, grinds out games some of those tough ones that they've had to kind of endure like Clemson, Wake Forest, uh, NC state, you know, all those. So, um, you know, the hat tip to him for sure. All right, let's take a break. And then we will get into this game from the Miami side of things. All right, we are back. Uh, Gabby, let's just start with kind of injury updates. Miami's kind of like a banged up team right now. And quite frankly, you know, I don't, really I'll just kind of frame things in terms of like how I understand it. And and honestly, I don't really know the situation on some of these guys. Um, But I think we got to start with Tyler Van Dyke starting quarterback. Um, My understanding. And, you know, I don't want this to be taken as like, I'm reporting this, but where I'm at with Tyler Van Dyke in this game is, you know, I, am expecting it to be another Jake and Jakari game. Uh, I think Tyler's making some progress, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just not convinced he has been out there uh, going through significant practice reps. And so, you know, if he does play on Saturday, it would be one of those situations where he really barely practiced and, you know, they decided to let him go play. Uh, so I, I kind of think it'd be a J I I'm expecting it to be another Jake Chikari game uh, at quarterback, which stinks, but I just think that's where things are at with the shoulder injury. Akeem Mesador, I feel pretty good that that's a situation where, cause he left in the, I think the second half of the Virginia or late first half, maybe of the Virginia game didn't return. My understanding is, you know, I think he's kind of limited in practice, but he's going to give it a go in the game. So that would be big if he's able to go. James Williams, I personally don't know what his status is there, but I think things are encouraging maybe in terms of like, I don't think his injury is all that serious. Um, So we'll see. That's when to keep an eye out on on pregame. He was held out out of the Virginia game, of course. Wesley Besaint. I honestly don't know. We'll see. And then Xavier Restrepo is going to be, I think, on a continued pitch count. Um, but maybe it, it expands. I think last game 
he was like 15 snaps. Maybe this week it'll be a little bit more than that. Um, so I might be missing some, but I think those are the main ones to touch on. I want to have a discussion here before we get into like keys of the game, Gabby. But so one guy who was held out of action against Virginia, not due to injury, but due to performance and fumble issues was Jalen Knight. And, um, you know, I am curious, Gabby, what your take is on how that situation was handled. Are you against that benching? Um, I'll just say where I'm at with it. Cause I personally, I mean, Jalen, we all see the talent. Um, we all see that he's an explosive athlete and he can make plays. He made plays in this game last year, Miami, Florida state game last year. Um, but at the same time, he's, he, this season, he has had fumble issues. He has four fumbles on the year between, uh, as a runner and as a receiver, and, you know, they've been costly fumbles, quite frankly. Uh, and so me personally, I am fine with benching him for a game. I think, you know, we look back at the Manny Diaz era. One of the issues with that program was accountability. And so I think this is one of those situations where it's a teaching moment where you make big mistakes like that. You don't get to play in a game. Um, now I will say I'm a, I'm a fan of that benching for one game. I will not be a fan of it if they do not incorporate him back into the offense this week. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I would expect him to get back into the game action this week. Um, cause I think that's, they need him. quite frankly, if they're going to win this game, they will need some explosive play threat. Um, and he brings that to the table. Um, but overall, I didn't have an issue with benching him against Virginia. Did you? No, I mean, again, you're talking about the, I mean, the four fumbles, uh, and we talked about like the quality of fumbles, right? It's not like, it didn't seem like, you know, defender made this like extremely elite play. And it's just like, again, I mean, it feels like, it felt like they were kind of soft fumbles. It felt avoidable. It's, it, yeah. it feels like something that, you know, again, in practice that just things that just shouldn't be happening. Right. If you're, talking about being a quality running back here at the power five uh, level. And especially, you know, at Miami in games that are so important, again, how many of those situations that, that you know, Jalen Knighton doesn't fumble, how much does that impact the out, the outcome of that, of any particular game, not saying that it's on him or anything like that, but you know, four is just too much. I mean, wh wh how many games have we played now? What they're eight. We're, we're, we played eight games. You're basically saying you're fumbling every other game. It's just unacceptable. So yeah, you know, again, it's about the accountability. They're talking about building a culture. I think it's totally fine if for one game, be like, hey, you're in time, maybe not in timeout, but you know, you were, we, there are consequences when you're not Correct. doing the things that you need to be doing. And, um, you know, this is a part of it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally fine with it. Again, I think this year one, you know, Mario Cristobal starting to throw the, the word rebuild around. Um, you know, I do think that this year is about establishing a culture about, you know, establishing expectations. And, you know, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to be loose with the football, look, man, you can't be on the field. And, you know, I hope I, you hope that they take it as a, as a wake up call, as a moment where they can kind of, you know, look, look within themselves, change, maybe some practice habits, take it maybe just a little bit more serious than maybe just going through ball control drills, you know, early on in the day. And, uh, you know, they kind of, you know, look, look in the mirror and be like, Hey, look, I need to be better. And if I, I need to help right. my team win, I can't be a guy that hurts this team. 
And, you know, they kind of use that as fuel and not as like a moment where they start pouting and be like, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. I think we're going to learn a lot about, you know, right. So I think, uh, you know, hopefully he adopted that mentality and he comes out against Florida state and, you know, he definitely carves out a role for himself. We've seen how valuable he's been in the past, how valuable he's been in the passing game out of the backfield. You know, when he can run, we, David, I think we agree that, you know, he can be that home run hitter type because he does have that big time speed. But again, you got to be able to hold on to the ball. And, you know, I do think he'll get opportunities to write himself uh, on Saturday against Florida State, a, a team he was once committed to. So maybe, you know, kind of come in with a chip on your shoulder uh, and be a good complimentary back to Henry Parrish. This is a test for him, you know, in terms of like, are you about this my this Miami life or not with right. Mario Cristobal in charge? And, um, you know, look, I think, it's football, uh, you know, I mean, this is, I don't, I'm not trying to get deep here, but it, it, it's about in a lot of ways, how do you bounce back from adversity? Cause bad stuff's going to happen to you in football eventually. Uh, and so how do you respond to that? And if Tyler Van Dyke can get benched against middle Tennessee state, uh, you know, rooster can certainly get benched um, for having fumble issues. And also, Going back to that Tyler uh, comparison, how did Tyler respond from that benching, right? He came out and threw for almost 500 yards. um, And then the next week threw for 300 yards. So he took it the right way, got better from it. Um, Again, hopefully Rooster adopts the same approach and mentality um, because this is is what Mario Cristobal wants. And, and, And also too, honestly, it's, it's a fair approach to the players because it's all down to them, you know. Uh, don't fumble. You don't get benched. Uh, if you do fumble and you get benched, how do you respond to that benching? Um, so, again, this is the transfer portal era, and if guys aren't here for this, they can go explore options elsewhere. Um, but if they are here for this, they can make the necessary changes. Um, keys to the game. You know, I, I think there's a lot of points we could potentially touch sure. on. I, I'll let you go first, Gabby. Is it what in particular do you want to bring up here in this part? Yeah, no, I mean, I think a key to the game, I mean, I think it just kind of starts with just kind of identifying where Jordan Travis is, right? Like whether it be him as a runner, um, you know, just kind of what he's doing. I mean, I think they're going to, again, going to throw out a lot of different looks. You need to know what where they're kind of going with the ball. Um, I think it starts with, you know, the run game, again, with Jordan Travis or with either of those two backs. Um, and just kind of wrapping up and tackling again, the offensive line isn't, they're not world beaters, you know, they're not, that's not a Joe Moore winning offensive line. I think you have a Miami defensive line that can be disruptive. Um, that's kind of generated tackles for loss. I think that you need to find a way to kind of limit that running game as much as possible. Don't let these guys break through tackles. And I think, you know, it's again, it starts with Jordan Travis and that running game. I think if you're able to kind of limit that, I think you're putting your defense in the best position to, to be successful. And then, I'll, I mean, I guess going to the flip side on offense for me, it's just kind of, you know, if it's Jake Garcia and if it's Jakari Brown, it's, you know, kind of chopping wood, you know, it's, it's, it's moving the sticks. It's, it's getting that push on, on third and one, third and two, you know, putting yourselves in, in position to kind of just continue to methodically move down the field. Again, I don't know how much the explosives are going to be there. I think you obviously hope that you can find some, but I think it's about just kind of keeping that offense on the field, establishing the running game with Henry Parrish, hopefully get Jalen Knight and rolling and, uh, just consistently moving the sticks a little bit. Again, you kind of got to, you kind of got to take that slow approach with this Florida state defense and uh, 
you know, just kind of start again. I to me on offense, it's just chopping wood. Don't don't beat yourselves with penalties and turnovers and just uh, you know, establish that run game. Yeah, I think going back to Jordan Travis, I agree. I I think it's easier said than done. Definitely. But I think Miami has to try and make him one dimensional. Yeah. Um, and so honestly, I don't know, pick your poison in terms of like whether you want him to beat you with his legs or beat you with his arm. I don't know which one from a Miami perspective you you would rather, but I think you do need to try and make him one dimensional, whatever that means. I am curious, Gabby, like, is there a way that you would want to see Miami try and defend him? Because for me, I think I'd rather see, and, and this, you know, speaking to past defense, I would rather see them drop back into zones and make Jordan Travis throw into windows. I think a quarterback like Jordan Travis wants to see man coverage because that, that also helps him as a scrambler, you know? Um, But also too, I think, you know, a quarterback like him can better identify where defenders are when it's man coverage. Um, I think he's a little bit more unsure of himself when throwing into zone windows. So that would kind of be my approach to defending him in the past game. Uh, Nixon, one high, two high safety looks. I don't really have an opinion there. Um, But if it were me, I would kind of go zone defense this week. What what would you do? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you take, I I would probably agree there. I mean, I just, it's hard, man, because it's just like, even when he's kind of dropping back as a passer, he's still a runner. So I just think that you just kind of always have to be, I don't know. You kind of always got to be like on, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely probably drop into zone and just, yeah, just make him kind of force him to throw into windows. Again, kind of looking back at that NC state date, I feel like there's just kind of one time he's kind of rolling out left. I think uh, NC state drops back into a zone. The DN kind of pressures him in his face. He kind of just hesitates, makes an errant throw, turns, turns the ball over late in that NC state game. I think that helped NC state kind of win that game. Um, so I think, I don't know, man. I mean, I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of, approach this but you got to be careful with it man because i don't know i feel like this is a pretty dangerous jordan travis we're seeing in 2022 right yeah no it's easier said than defending him um and in terms of your your offensive point i agree like i think the approach will be to muck it up make this a game where miami pulls florida state into the mud yeah you win with run game defense and field position you know um but I do think at the same time, we need to see an offensive approach that is more open than what we saw against Virginia. Um, and look, I get it. Like they're terrified of, as they should be, the eight turnover performance against Duke. Um, but I think if you're, if you're going to try and beat Florida State, you're going to have to score, I don't know, best like lowest low bar scenario is like what 24 points maybe i don't know right so i just don't know if you can get there by playing the same style you played against virginia um and so you know i i just think the shot plays need to be incorporated a little better this week compared to the virginia game um you know those are my thoughts there i Another key to the game, I think, I mean, look, Florida State, and this goes back to Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell might be the best in the game, 
at opening game scripts. Yeah. Uh, I went back and looked uh, at every game this season. So Duquesne, and this is all just opening drives for Florida State of a game. Duquesne, touchdown. LSU, field goal miss. Louisville, touchdown. BC, touchdown. Wake, touchdown. NC State, punt. Clemson, touchdown. Georgia Tech, punt. So this speaks to Mike Norvell's ability to scheme up uh, against a defense, what he thinks a defense is going to come out with on the first drive of a game, attack their weaknesses, and go get a touchdown. Go grab the early momentum. Go put the other team on its heels. Um, and they've scored a touchdown in half of their games this year. One, two, three, four. In five of their eight games this year. So um, Miami, unfortunately, is kind of a front-running team right now, right. front-running program. So um, I think it's big for the defense to – not let that happen, of course, but also too, just they got to, if it does happen, if, if Florida State goes out and gets a touchdown, you got to just quickly on defense, yeah. make the necessary adjustments. Flip it over. Can't let it snowball. Um, got to figure out, got to identify what Mike Norvell's attacking and how you can counter punch that um, from a defensive perspective. Um, another thing I think is a key for Miami. I think you have to win the red zone battle in terms of FSU's offense and Miami's defense. Yeah. So FSU is borderline elite on offense this year, but the one thing that they are struggling with is red zone touchdowns. Um, they have a 60.5 red zone touchdown percentage this season, which ranks number 81 in the country. And that's kind of why, you know, you look at Florida State's yardage, their yardage is, I don't know, top 20 in the country, uh, but their scoring is is not up to that level points per game wise. It's a lot of that is because of the red zone touchdown percentage. Again, they go for it quite a bit down there because they don't trust their kicker. Um, but on the flip side, right, and, and this played out in a big way against Virginia last week. Miami's red zone defense is one of the best in the country. Uh, they've allowed a touchdown on 41.3% of the opponent's opportunities in the red zone, which is sixth best in the country. So um, I think we all know at this point, Miami's offense is what it is. Um, so Miami's offense, probably not going to go out and score a ton of points. I think Florida State's going to have success moving the ball in general. Um, but in that key area, we're going to need to see Miami's defense bow up again in the red zone. Um, you know, either force Florida State to go go for it on fourth down and not get points or settle for field goals, um, which gets to my next point, just in general. And this is uh, this is like a bad sign when you got to bring up this point, I think, for a game. You want to you want to make the specialists an important factor. So, I think Miami has the advantage at kicker and punter. I think Lou Headley needs to be on point. You got to win that punter versus punter matchup, and then Andy Borgales needs to win the field goal kicking battle 
over Ryan Fitzgerald. Exciting stuff. That's where su- we're at. Su- super thrilling. We're talking about field position and, and <laughs> field goals, baby. Just, just the way you drop Miami, Florida State. So I Keys love to victory. It. Keys to victory. For the Hurricanes. Um, <laughs> How about the matchup we like most from a Miami standpoint going into this game? Um, there's not really many, I don't think, no. but I'll, I'll let you take the easy one if you want. I don't, I don't even know what you're going to say, but go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I was just looking. I was just looking at the numbers, and you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe Miami could just kind of run the ball. I don't know. I'm kind of looking on on offense. I think Miami, you know, Florida State has a number seventieth, the 70th ranked rushing defense. Um, so I think Miami's going to be able to run the, I mean, potentially, hopefully if we see Henry Parrish run the way he kind of ran late in that Virginia game, maybe they can kind of get something rolling there. Let's see if, uh, Jalen Knighton coming back helps at all. And then defensively, I think it's that defensive front four, uh, against that Florida state, uh, you know, line. I think that that's probably Miami's biggest, uh, advantage is, you know, just what those guys can kind of throw at that Florida state offense. That's what I was going to highlight, just the Miami D-line versus the FSU O-line. From a talent perspective, it's not really close. Yeah. But again, FSU's coaching staff does a really good job of kind of hiding their offensive line. Um, and so, you know, will it be much of a factor in this game, that talent uh, differential? I think that's kind of a question uh, going into the game. You know, I think overall... Like you look, you look at that Clemson, Florida state game, um, you know, Clemson, their D line is elite. Their D line is better than Miami's. Um, they certainly flashed in moments, uh, in that game. Uh, and that might've been like what separated those, those moments of game changing plays by the defensive line. But over the course of the whole game, I do feel like Florida State's offensive line, for the most part, held its own. So um, they're a scrappy group. I I do think, and this is a what if, but like if Tyler Van Dyke was playing, I would like Miami's chances in the passing game testing FSU's corners. I do think their corners are, they're not like terrible or bad. They're just kind of average to me. Um, and it's not like wide re- Miami's wide receivers are awesome. Um, but I do think there could be, there's something to test there is, is what I would say in spots. So we'll see if Josh Gaddis can draw it up. Um, what about a matchup to keep an eye on that could be bad for Miami? Is there anything that sticks out to you? Um, I mean, I think the potentially just the running backs and, and just the tackling. I mean, Miami's obviously been, has had those issues in the past, obviously last year mostly, but they've definitely come alive at times here in 2022. So, you know, if the run, if the running backs kind of get going, this sort of like two, three headed monster, really maybe potentially four headed monster, if you want to include Jordan Travis, um, um, I mean, or Lawrence to- Tofili, um, you know, if they can be kind of slippery, you know, and if you're, if you're not going to be, if you're not going to kind of bring these guys down, I mean, we talked about how Trey Benson, has one of the highest, you know, break tackle percentages or break tackle rates in the country. And you got to kind of bring your hard hat, man. You got to get these guys on the ground. And uh, if, if you're not going to tackle, if you're not going to, if you're not going to be physical, I don't think that this is a matchup that's going to necessarily bode well for Miami. So that's what I'm definitely concerned about when it comes to, you know, that Miami defense against, you know, that Florida state heavy rushing attack. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for me, you know, 
similar to your point, it's basically just FSU's athleticism and play calling because Mike Norvell will pick on your weakness um, against Miami's linebackers. You, you look at the NC State game, NC State won that game in a style that Miami's going to have to try and replicate. Yeah. I don't know if they'll be able to do it. I would, I would be skeptical that they will right. be able to do it. But you look at that NC State game, the strength of that NC State team is their linebacker core. Yeah. Uh, they have one of the best in the country. And you look at the stats from that game. So Drake Thomas, 14 tackles, two tackles for loss. Isaiah Moore, 10 tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. Peyton Wilson, 10 tackles. So between their three linebackers, um, that's 34 tackles. Um, Miami ain't got that. So definitely don't. Um, and, and as a team in that game, Going to your point in terms of tackling, NC State missed only four tackles in that game as a team. So and that was a grind. I mean, and NC State had to grind out that win. Like they were yeah. down for a majority of the game. Yep. You know, they really had to had to work that one like wire to wire. Like you're, I was watching that game and I was like in midway through the third quarter, I was like, how does how did Florida State lose this game? Like, I feel like they looked like the better team for. Yep. A, lo- a large portion of that game. And then NC State just kind of started chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. Those linebackers had a lot to do with that. I mean, Peyton Wilson, someone that popped off the screen, Jake, uh, Drake Thomas as well. So, I mean, I think it's going to be obviously a huge test for Miami linebacker core. I'm wondering if they maybe use a guy like James Williams and drop him down with, you know, some guys out and see if maybe he can be help just, you know, just bring some physicality into the box and stuff or, or, and stuff Ooh, like that. So physicality. Physicality. Yeah, I don't know. He's gonna start. He's gonna just start tearing people's heads off or something. I don't know. Okay. Like he's just gonna start tackling high. I don't know. Just something. Because what else are they gonna do? You know, you got Corey right. Flag, you got Caleb Johnson, Wayman Steeds out. And again, not saying that he's a world changer, but I feel like you need to bring something. I do think to kind they're of... finally playing the two best linebackers. Yeah. No, they are. So... But they, I thought they couldn't play together though. But it's all right. <laughs> um, and yeah, to to the point of the NC State game, you know. There, Jordan Travis, I think he did pop one 71-yard run, um, which was big. But for the most part, NC State contained the run game in that game, and, and they forced Jordan Travis to go win the game as a passer, and he went 15 of 30 for one touchdown and two interceptions in that game. Again, I'm not saying Miami – like th- I am concerned about this matchup, but if Miami wants to try and make this a muddy game, you're going to need your linebackers to step yeah. up big, 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 big time. So we'll see. Which brings us to our next talking point. Guy that needs to step up for Miami. I'll just stick with this point and go Corey Fleck. Who would you highlight? Yeah, I was going to go Caleb Johnson. I mean, I think it was, I think we're both kind of in the same mind frame with, with the linebackers. Potential player of the game. Who you got? I'm going to go with Henry Parrish, man. I don't know. I feel like, you know, I, I, I like the way he's running the ball. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, hopefully if he can kind of get rolling, I think he can kind of help Miami, you know, have that sort of methodical, you know, maybe not a methodical approach, but he can just help them move the sticks, move the chains. And, you know, I think if they can do that, they can get into a rhythm. I think they will obviously want to run the ball. And, uh, you know, I do think that there's an opportunity here for Henry Parrish. Uh, let's see how it goes. I'm not feeling super confident on that. <laughs> I'll go. Uh, I'll go Leonard Taylor. Okay. Um He's been in ascension mode here. Yeah, he's kind of freaky. Weeks, and uh, we'll see uh, um, if he can be 
disruptive in the middle there. Betting line. FSU, last I looked, Gabby, favored by seven and a half. Um, over under at 53. I'll go first, I guess. I don't know. I would, this is going to be an indication of my prediction, I guess. I would take FSU minus seven and a half. And I think over under, I would go under. I feel better about that under bet than I do FSU seven and a half, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I probably, you know, I'm I'm going to take Miami plus seven and a half. This is a rivalry game, man. You, you okay. throw the you throw the records out the window, yeah. right? Nah, I, mean, I, I mean, I really don't know. I probably if I was betting actual money, I'd probably take Florida State minus seven and a half. But, you know, again, I do think it's crazier, crazier things have happened. And look, I think this matchup last year, we were probably talking about this game, the exact opposite about how Miami was probably the much better team. Yeah. I think they had been rolling. Florida State had kind of been struggling. I mean, Florida State comes out, plays plays a hell of a game, and obviously beats Miami. Yep. Um, so, you know, again, uh, I, I think maybe Florida State was maybe more equipped last year to to beat Miami than maybe Miami is to beat Florida State this year just because of Tyler Van Dyke's not playing, you know, and the offense struggling the way it has. Um, you know, I think it's definitely an uphill climb. But I do think that this could potentially be close. David, you wrote something earlier yeah. in the week that I thought was awesome about Mario Cristobal's record in rivalry games. This is Miami-Florida State, and as much as he tries to deflect that, I bet it is – you know, personal, personal oh, to yeah. him to an extent. Um, I think that he, these guys are gonna, I, I, I believe they're playing hard. I think that they want to win, you know, they, they want to do the right things. It just maybe hasn't come together for them. Not saying everything's going to click, but I do think that this is one that could maybe be closer than people are anticipating. That's a pretty big line, you know, it's over, you know, over a touchdown. So, you know, I'm going to give Mario Cristobal Miami the benefit of the doubt here. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that this one's closer than a touchdown. I'm not saying Miami wins, but I'll take a, I'll take a grind out, a, a muddy, you know, grind it out type of game. That's that's pretty close. And the, and the over under, did you give your I'll pick? I'll take the under. I'll take the under there. Yeah. Okay. Um, prediction time. You want me to go or you to go? No, you can go ahead. So I'm going to predict FSU 27, Miami 17. Um, I just think FSU is the better team right now in terms of how they are playing. Uh, you know, you say things like, and I agree, like Miami to win this game, I think it's got to be an ugly, low scoring yeah. game in the mud. And when, you know, when you say that, that's probably not a good sign for yeah. the team that you're talking about. Right. Right. Um, I do think this game's winnable. You know, it's not like, like in a couple of weeks, Miami's going to go play Clemson. I don't know how winnable that game is for Miami. Um, this game I, I do think is winnable, um, but too much has to go right, in my opinion, for Miami to pull it off. Uh, Miami, too much has to go right for Miami, and I think FSU has to play one of its poorest games of the season. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm going FSU 27, Miami 17. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's fair. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Florida State twenty four, Miami twenty one. Um, you know, I think it's again. It's I, I do expect Florida State to win this game. I'm not saying Miami's gonna come out here and win. I do think that they could keep it close. Um, you know, again, this Florida State offense has been explosive. Twenty four points, I think, is you know a, a, would be you know not saying a perfect defensive performance, but I think it's 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 something reasonable that you can expect from this defense. I'm yeah. I'm just I'm just uh. 
concerned about how much the offense scores. I think 21 points might, might even be a lot. I think that might be a little bit even generous from my end, but, uh, you know, I I'm optimistic that it's not going to look as ugly as it was against Virginia. And I also don't think it's going to be as poor as it was against, you know, just in general, as, as the performance was against Duke, I think they got to find kind of that happy medium somewhere. And I think, uh, you know, rivalry game, what better time to spark it? What, what better time to kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of fix whatever has been going wrong. So, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, a field goal, you know, more like closer to that range, but I do have Florida state winning. All right. We will see how the game plays out. Um, Again, 7.30 kick, ABC. Um, lots of recruits in the building. So hopefully the atmosphere is is good. And honestly, Gabby, what I want to see is just get the game to the fourth quarter yeah. and let the chips fall where they may uh, from a Miami standpoint, right? Um, which I think is possible. I think that can happen. And in the fourth quarter, the better team wins out. Um, so keep fighting. You know, Miami showed that fight against Virginia last week and that game. I never want to watch again, uh, but I do <laughs> I will, think I will never watch again, <laughs> but I do think, I do think there is something that can be taken from winning that type of game. And I do think in college football, winning those games in terms of confidence matters. So, and I'll say this too, I've been told, and I don't think this matters really coaches like this stuff, but you know, I'll pass it along. Like, I've been told that things have been chippy in practice this week uh, in terms of maybe some scuffles. So I think the main takeaway with that is there is a lot of competitiveness happening in practice this week, which is what Mario Cristobal wants. Uh, He wants competitive, tough practices. Uh, Fighting in practice doesn't mean anything in terms of wins or losses or anything like that but i do think it shows how the team is engaged and uh you know competing at a high level going into this week so uh we'll see how the game goes and uh appreciate everyone for listening and until next time take care